When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic Podcast, age, injury, and infighting between coaches and owners aren't the only way dynasties end. Sometimes they're just more important things than sports, like serving your country. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right, that's it. Let's go. It's Tuesday. We're getting ready for Wednesday. NFL historians and lovers of sports history, welcome in. This show is for you, not for the people that already know this stuff. If you know this stuff already, especially... Team fans, bravo. Good job for you. Two enthusiastic thumbs up. This show is for those who don't know as much about NFL history. So we are here to do three things, and that is enlighten, teach, and learn. It is the Behind the Mic Podcast. It is presented by Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. Check us out on bellyupsports.com and all of our featured podcast platforms our home base of Spreaker also you can find us on Apple Podcast Spotify, Google Podcast Amazon Music, Stitcher iHeartRadio, YouTube and you name it, there's a bunch of others I had no idea about, but look let's get to it, so as we have talked about for the last two shows, a dynasty can end in a lot of different ways, so we've gone over the last two shows so we've had the Canton Bulldogs that team folded in the 1920s. They were kind of getting old, yeah, but they didn't have a chance to continue that dynasty because the league decided to cut of his 22 teams, 10 of them, and Canton was one of them. They didn't last. Money was tight. You had to have the cabbage. The Green Bay Packers of the 60s, the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers of the 70s, they legitimately got old, okay? And retirement got them. Of course, then there's... The New England Patriots, um, 
they lost their quarterback, finally. Uh, I think you can wrap that up in a bow. Uh, <laughs> Tom Brady's gone. And the Dallas Cowboys, it was a power struggle. The owner and the head coach, they couldn't get along. Go all the way back to the 50s, same thing with the Cleveland Browns. The exact same as Dallas. Paul Brown and the the second, uh, the excuse me, the third ownership group, in, which was obviously Art Modell, the first two ownership groups, they allowed Paul Brown free reign. And then Art Modell comes in and said, you know what, Paul? Hmm, I think I take some of that power because I'm the owner and I think I should have a little say-so in this, that, and the other. And eventually, Paul had to step down, even though his team was getting old, too. More on that later. Plus, Paul Brown overlooked some talent. Whether it was developed or not, you know, sometimes you just can't see the future. Anyway, but you'll find that some of the examples for this show panned out a little bit different. We always talk about those 60s Packers and the 70s Steelers and, and you know, all of these, these teams of the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and the 2000s, the same ones. Um, two of the most important pieces, for instance, you know, that remained for the longest with the Patriots, of course, was Bob Kraft and Bill Belichick. Yeah, but the key was Tom Brady. Um, one thing, though, you know, with some of these, it wasn't just a single player. It wasn't always age or injury. Um, it, it wasn't so much that about some of these dynasties, how they came to a close. It was that not all of them happened in the same, if you will, numerical 10-year period. We always say the 2000s Patriots, yeah, because for the most part, 20 years, uh, they were pretty much the dominant team in the NFL. They went to nine Super Bowls. I mean, what are you going to do? Nine. Nine times they went to the Super Bowl. They won six championships. That's the greatest dynasty of all time. And they didn't have the guys who started off with Brady in that first Super Bowl year back in 2000, uh, 2001. You know, they weren't the same ones that were with him there at the end when they beat the Rams, were they? So, you know, you have a almost like a LeBron-esque type thing where one player was making a real difference in the team. So, um, and I got a little, some thoughts on that later on, but then you have, you know, the Cowboys and the 49ers who we'll get to later on. We have the, the Steelers and the Packers, but not all of them were boxed into the 1970 to 1979, 1980 to 1989. It didn't happen like that. And I learned something along the way. Sometimes dynasties are staggered between two numerical eras. So, yeah, the Packers, they won their championships in the 60s for the most part, right? You know, yes, I'm aware that they've won since then. We're talking about the 60s Packers, right? But the question is, what is the measure, though, of a dynasty? It is championships. How many championships not only did they win, but also how many championships did these teams actually play in? The first thing, though, that you need to understand is that the NFL didn't have an actual championship game until 1933. I had to remind myself of this during my research as to why I couldn't find whom the league champion uh, played against in the championship games between, well, the championship teams of uh, 1920 to 1932. There was none. That's because the first 13 years of the league, the champion was actually um, 
they, they was kind of like awarded at season's end because they had like the best record. Kind of the way college football was done before the playoffs in the BCS. You know, not that it was voted on, but the team with the best record was basically the champion, right? Also, everybody didn't play the same amount of games as well. We told you about Red Grange who signed with the uh, the Chicago Bears uh, in one weekend. They played, I can't remember how many games it was, but they played, uh, I want to say about 10 games over a two-day two period or something like that. It's just, a, it's like the equivalent of running basketball games on a Saturday afternoon. You know, you're going to the gym. The same, you just, just say it's football and you're playing, you know, these games. You're playing both ways. It's not no offense run off the field and a defense run. No, you were playing both ways and you were playing over and over and over. I remember watching 75 seasons and the last actual Canton Bulldog that was alive, his name was Arta Bowser. Can't remember when he passed away. It had to be in the 90s. But he was actually featured on that, uh, at the beginning, featured on that NFL movie, on that film. And he, he, the, the stories that he told, that's how pro football was. They played many games. It wasn't a set schedule. It wasn't week one. You got, No, it wasn't like that. You know, they kind of made it up as they went. So you had championships that were played, uh, you know, the championship teams, some of, the, some of the teams during the season played more than others. And that's just the way that it was set up at the time. Um, there's just a, some things that you need to keep in mind when you talk about dynasties themselves. Again, the Canton Bulldogs <laughs> were one of those early teams to dominate the 1920s. But then you had the Chicago Bears slash Decatur Staley's who actually played way more games. Why is that? Like I said, you had those travel games, right? Um, and when I look back at the, the numbers on that, the Bears, even after Canton folded, at, you know, after the 1926 season, they continued on. According to StatMuse.com, the Chicago Bears played more games in the 20s than anybody. 134 games. While the Bulldogs, who were looked upon, you know, around that time as the uh, the dynasty, they only played 68 games. They only played 68 games, but they won, you know, championships early and often, you know, before they folded up. It's also to be noted that during this time, the 1920s and the 30s, the NFL was dominated by about four to five teams. It was the Chicago Bears, the Green Bay Packers, the New York Giants when they came in in 1925, uh, Washington, and also the Detroit Lions. So I've read in a couple of different places that put the New York Giants or the Green Bay Packers as the dynasties of the 1930s. So I had to ask myself, you know, like I said, why is that? And I had to get into the numbers. So you go with the New York Giants, they didn't waste any time after entering entering the league in 1925 by 1927 they already won their first championship you talk about the 27 yankees well new york was doing it big even in football at that time so they they got a two for two there right so one of the reasons the new york giants are looked upon as that dynasty of the 30s and i have to agree that they actually were uh is because they appeared in five championships winning two of them in 1934 and 1938 so my papers so if you go down the list uh you know you had guys like steve owen and cal hubbard who started off in that championship run going back to 1927 but then when the championship game was actually instituted in 1933 they were in it those for five five of those seasons 
the Bears, they, they went uh, in 33, 34, 35, 38, and 39. They lose to the Bears. They beat the, the uh, they lose to the Bears. They beat the Bears. They lose to the Lions. They beat the Packers, and they lost to the Packers in 1939. And you had um, Steve Owen, who ended up, you know, obviously he was one of their players and turned coach. And he was a 24-year guy who coached, you know, for Tim Mara and those Giants based on a handshake. It wasn't a signed contract. It was a handshake. Uh, and even after that, in the 30s, the way that they played in all of those um, championship games, going into the 40s, they had three more championships, but, you know, they lost all three of them. In the 50s, they went to three more championships. They won one in 1956. And in the 60s, they went to three straight, and they lost three straight times, including twice the Green Bay and the 63 Bears. And uh, after that, they fell on hard times. But as far as the Giants were concerned, when it came down to it, they basically, they never really kind of, I guess you could say they never really went away, but they had some great players. Um, and if you look down into it, Owen, who was there, you know, in 1926, went to 1931, was actually a player and a coach. And he actually had a brief comeback, comeback in 1933. They had some good players like Ken Strong and Ray Flattery, who ended up being a coach, um, and Mel Hine. Those great players eventually, yeah, they ended up having to retire. But they maintained uh, being in more of those championship games. Like I said, you in the 40s, they were in there three times. In the 50s, they were in there three times. 60s, they were in there three times. But they didn't have a lot of titles to show for it. If you look at it from 1927 to, to the night through the 1960s with all those appearances, they only won it four times. That's not a lot, you know, in that stretch of, you know, in, in that long stretch. But when you look at the Green Bay Packers, it was a little bit different. So the Packers, they joined the old APFA, the uh, American the American Professional Football Association before it was called the NFL back in 1921. Fast forward to 1929, the Packers actually won three straight NFL titles. Interjection time. So we talk about, okay, so the 60s Packers, they were the first to win three straight titles. And if you know about Vince Lombardi, he was doing the, he was had the mantra of run to win during that final season, he was with Green Bay in 67. They won, won it all Super Bowl II in 1968, January of 68 against the Oakland Raiders, 33 to 14. And, you know, they wanted to be the first to do that. But that was in the championship era because eventually you had a playoff game and then you had a championship game. And that was that setup, you know, between 1920 and 1932. That's not what it was. Well, the Green Bay Packers, they dominated pretty much the, you know the end of the 20s going into the 30s fast forward to 1929 the Packers won three straight they won three straight uh obviously like I said you had uh teams that were really good but that I mean unless there was some kind of tie at the top you won it it was automatic you were the best one they were led this team was led by former giant Cal Herbert apparently he didn't like being with the Giants I think after his rookie year I believe and ended up going to the Packers. Uh, they also had Johnny Blood, who was another Pro Football Hall of Famer. Again, they were champs in 29, 30, and 31. And then uh, the late 30s, 
they went three uh they had three championship appearances in 36 38 and 39 they played the then boston redskins please excuse the expression or the boston football team how about that and before losing to the giants and then beating the giants in 38 and 39 and how did they come to an end let's just be real i mean johnny blood played out his uh his um his pretty much his career uh being a hall of famer that he was ended up in pittsburgh Cal Hubbard eventually went to, I mean, he played baseball as well. He's the only, I think he's still the only athlete in the pro base, uh, in Cooperstown in the pro, the pro baseball hall of fame, major league baseball hall of fame, as well as the pro football hall of fame. Don Hudson, excuse me, Don Hudson, great wide receiver. Of course they called him an end back then, right? He retired in 1945. Uh, H, Arnie Herbert, great running back for them, fullback from 30 to 40. He was there all of those years and then ended up stepping away from football and coming back at the end for, of all people, well, he was a, he was a halfback and quarterback, Ernie Her- Herbert was. He, he was a quarter, more of a quarterback. And Herbert came back in 44 and 45 to play for, guess who, the New York Giants. Uh, he was waived during training camp back in 41. And when he came back, they got back to the championship and then he lost to his old team <laughs> in Green Bay. So, I mean, that was more of an age thing. So, I mean, and after that championship win in 1944, that was the year the Packers beat them, beat the Giants. They wouldn't go back again until 1960 under some guy by the name of Lombardi. After all of that, I'm guessing that the Giants were really uh, kind of the team of the 30s. They In the championship era from 33 to 39, the Giants, they went, they won five, they went to champi- the championship, can't talk, Five of seven years. And I guess to be fair, the Packers were the pre-championship game, you know, team of the 30s. I guess just to be fair, maybe it's more of a split. You had a lot of championships between those two teams and they played each other. With all that being said, yet there was another great team in that era. And the 1940s belonged to a very scary franchise, the Monsters of the Midway. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. So the Chicago Bears had a great start after joining the APFA as the Chicago Staley's at the league's inception in 1920. Um, And they won their first championship the next season. A 25-year-old George Hallis was present in Ralph Hayes' showroom when they had the meeting, the second meeting, actually, uh, you know, 
because only four showed up to the August meeting, I believe it was, as far as forming a professional football league. And they had a second meeting in September. And so many people showed up. They couldn't have it in Ralph Hayes actual office so they had to sit on the running boards and and sit on the you know on the cars and things like that and tires to have their meeting Hallis was one of those guys the founding fathers of the nfl and you know they win it in 1920 uh 1921 uh 1932 they won it again they squeezed one in at that point what is interesting, though, is that both the Bears and the Portsmouth Spartans, who later became the Detroit Lions, finished tied for the best record, you know, in 1932. So the Bears and the Spartans faced off in a playoff game to break the tie, like I was telling you last segment. And the Bears won nine to nothing in order to take home the title. Chicago would appear in the first official championship game, winning it all the next year in 1933 against who? Yeah, the New York Giants. They were always there. Um they got revenge the next year, winning the famous sneaker game in 1934. And the Bears almost lost again in 1937. But the 40s, they belong to the Chicago Bears. Now, according to Roy Taylor of ChicagoBearsHistory.com um, and in my other reading as well, 1939, the Bears decided to change up what was called the T formation. And that offense didn't have a lot of movement. Well, what did they do? They put in motion with the T formation, revolutionizing football as they knew it at the time. And George Hallis did that with the help of coach Clark Shaughnessy. Shaughnessy, he's, you know, very renowned coach in pros as well as a head coach in college football. I believe he's in the College Football Hall of Fame. Um, that 39 season, not only did they change up the offense, but they also had a great draft class, and they brought in the quarterback of the future, well, really more so the present, Sid Luckman, also running back or, uh, or you know, fullback, halfback, whatever you want to call him, running back Bill Osmansky, and a guard by the name of Ray Bray. 1940 brought in another set of great players. Clyde Bulldog-Turner, Pro Football Hall of Famer, and Ken Kavanaugh, and also a trade with the Philadelphia Eagles brought in another running back by the name of George McAfee. That year, in 1940, the Bears obviously had a really good, good record on their way to their dynasty run. They lost 7-3 to the Washington football team. And of course, George Preston Marshall is always, he seems to be the butt of the joke. Um, anytime he, I mean, he's just always doing something dumb Whenever I read something, he he was a he was a guy who was prominent in the, the the league, and he put together some really good teams. But he's always he's almost like a sore thumb. He's always doing or saying something dumb. Well, he basically had called the Bears a bunch of crybabies because you know the things that went on during the game. They didn't like it. I think it was a bad call that actually contributed to the Bears' loss to Washington. Well. They ended up meeting in the 1940 championship game. And Hallis and the Bears, they didn't forget that. So on the walls, they put those newspaper clippings and say, hey, this is what they think of you. I mean, nothing new under the sun, right? Athletes, 73 to nothing. Yeah, that's how bad the Bears beat the Washington football team that day. Deservedly so. 
I mean, 58 seconds into the game, they had already, uh, or seconds into the game, they had already scored on, on a long touchdown run. Osmanski, I think he ran for a 58, not 58 seconds, a 58-yard touchdown run to start that off. 28 to nothing in the first quarter, and the run was on. As a matter of fact, if you read in history, they tell you because footballs were not plenteous. When they kicked the extra point, the crowd kept the football. And the, the officials were saying, hey, look, can y'all please, George, can y'all stop scoring so many points? We're running out of footballs, man. At 73 to nothing, I don't know. They finished the game some kind of way. You scored that many points. And that's what happened. You know, that kicked off the 40s, um, you know, heading on in there. And uh, 1940 to 1946, that was their run. Uh, they had several great players, guys like Joe Stidjar, excuse me, Stidjar, Danny Fortman, of course, you had Kavanaugh and McAfee and Luckman and Osmanski, and of course, Hall of Famer and, and contributor, as well as a head coach, George Hallis. They played in all, and in, in during that, that time, let's just go all the way back to what, the 1932 season? They played in nine championships and won six titles. And they had 13 Hall of Famers along the way. And that, that run for the Chicago Bears was their dynasty that was the best era of chicago bears football in the history of the chicago bears unfortunately in december of 1941 when japan bombed pearl harbor the war that america entered into after that that broke up the bears all right sid luckman said it himself he said that the, the war broke us up and it's true because you had many of these Hall of Famers, as well as from what I read, up to was it two dozen, three dozen Bears players. Not all of them were Hall of Famers and great players, but they were contributors nonetheless. It broke them up. Even their head coach George Hallis had to go off uh, to the Navy. Several of those players, George McAfee did, Ken Kavanaugh did, I think Sid Luckman did, <laughs> Danny Foreman. <laughs> Uh, Stidden Hahar, he he did. They they had to leave. Now some of them, like Luckman, he actually was able to serve during the week and play on the weekend. So he kind of stuck around. Um, but I mean, that that's something that's that there's a higher calling. Sometimes there's some things that are a little bit more important than football, and that obviously was one of them. The country, and again, according to Roy Taylor of chicagobearshistory.com the 1944 and 45 seasons they continued to actually erode the bears not only them but also the rest of the nfl they weren't the only team they lost players to the war remember we talked about the draft and they went to as many as 30 some odd rounds because they didn't know what players would be available that's why they drafted so long and so deep um you had to have some players available in order to field a team not everybody was able to go over you know what 4f means you know, you're just not fit right um but the, the chicago bears in 1944 they finished 6-3 and 1 but 45 was worse they hadn't won a game i think they were 0 and 5 in 1945 in the last five of the game uh, of the year the last five games of the year some of those starters did return and they finished the season at three and two to finish three and seven in 1945. So 
uh, Hallis, he finally returned for good in 1946, and they won their final championship of the 40s. Um, the 1946 championship is probably remembered a little bit more because of the NFL's first gambling issue. Two Giants players, by the way, quarterback Frank, excuse me, Frankie Filchok and fullback Merle Hapes. And Filchok, he actually used to play for Washington. They were offered bribes by a professional gambler by the name of Alvin Paris. $2,500 a piece to throw the game. Not only that, the guy was going to put a $1,000 bet for both, you know, for each of them. 1000 for you, 1000 for you, if you, for the Giants to lose if you throw this game as well. So he's throwing a lot of money at these guys. And Habes, he confessed. Flitchcock, he didn't. So the Bears, they won that championship game anyway. And Vilchok was booed. <laughs> he was booed. But check this out. Months later, he finally admitted to being offered the bribe. And uh, both of these guys, Filchok and Hapes, they were both suspended indefinitely by then-Commissioner Burt Bell. And, yeah, both guys actually never really played in the league again. Filchok actually played uh, in 1950 after having his suspension lifted in 1950. He threw three passes for the Baltimore Colts, and then he was gone. Hapes, he was he was toast. You're done. No more for, no more football for you. I mean, he, his suspension was listed, lifted in 1954, but probably was too old by then to to continue. So that's that's crazy. That's really crazy. But this great Bears, the monsters of the Midway, they had a great run. If you even go all the way back to 1932 to 1946, yeah. If you go back to the beginning of the of the uh, of the NFL, I mean, the Bears were a staple for being one of the greatest franchises that the league has ever long, ever known. I know Bears fans, y'all would love to see them get back to that unless you're another one of those NFC North fans. Green Bay, Detroit, Minnesota, probably don't want to see that at all. And you're probably not worried. Uh, I also thought while um, Hallis was gone, he actually had two of his assistants, Hunk Anderson and Luke Johnson's. They actually coached the team to some of those championship games uh in 1942 washington got revenge and beat uh they beat uh, the the bears before uh and then 1943 uh, the bears put a spanking on them but i think they put 37 points on them again so i mean it wasn't exactly um you know <laughs> the greatest for george preston marshall uh and even that season Bronco Nagurski had been in retirement. They brought him back, and he played that season mostly at tackle. Um, but at the end of that dynasty there, I mean, from 47 to 51, the Chicago Cardinals actually took over as the best team in Chicago. Uh, not the best franchise, but they were the best team. They ended up grabbing Charlie Tri Trippy, the Heisman Trophy winner, uh, award winner from uh, Georgia. And uh, between the Cardinals and the Eagles, they finished out the 40s and the 50s as far as championship appearances and winning those championships. So, but, but the crazy thing, even with that, the Bears had the best record in the league, but no titles. And I'll tell you something that was even crazier. Well, what contributed to that 1950? Yeah. They lost their quarterback too. Sid Lugman retired after the 1950 season. They lost to the, uh, I think the Cleveland Browns, and then that was it. That was it. Also consider this. 
history uh football historians from 1948 to 1951 <laughs> check out this list of nfl hall pro football hall of famers minus one okay that were on george hallis's squad that could have continued his dominance he kind of pulled a uh, Paul Brown just before Paul Brown well probably around the same time as Paul you know after 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 pull the Paul Brown you know you had some Hall of Famers on your roster and you sit them packing well they not only had Sid Lugman but Johnny Lujak who was a Notre Dame fighting Irish Heisman Trophy winning quarterback Bobby Lane was a rookie uh, ended up leaving and went he was traded to Detroit and they won three championships in Detroit George Blanda he's like ah he's a third string guy and he ain't no good. He ends up playing for what 20 years. <laughs> he ends up in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And uh Lou Jack, he actually was done with Hallis after four years, and it was more so over money. It was more so over money. So that, I mean that was a, not not a great end. But you know, at the same time that their dynasty came to the end was you know the 1946 season when the AAFC actually started. And it just reminded me of the fact that you had the Chicago franchise is trying to pry Sid Luckman and certain other players away from the Bears and George Hallis. You know, so their franchise, you know, they wanted Luckman to head coach the Chicago franchise, the Chicago Rockets. And they said no. <laughs> he's like, he's old. He should be done. Not yet. Not well, yes and no. Yes and no. To me, the 1980s were kind of like the 20s and the 30s, and you had several good teams at the same time. And it kind of rotated winning championships. I'll tell you about one. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. All right, so I'm going a little longer than I thought that I would. I had to slide another break in there. Um, again, the 1980s, they reminded me of those early days of professional football. Uh, they kind of rotated, you know, took turns winning championships, even though it was kind of seemed like it was the same teams. Uh, in the 80s, the Raiders, they won two championships. The, the Washington football won two, and they played in three. And there were several other good teams in the 80s, which included the Bears and the Giants who came back. Uh, they had fallen on hard times in the 1960s. I mean, excuse me, the 1970s. But one team just had more rings than the rest of them. Yet, this is another one of those easy ones. The 1980s 49ers, the San Francisco 49ers. Just like the Patriots and the Cowboys after them, this is a well-known dynasty in pro football history. It started with the hiring of Bill Walsh in 1979, along with the drafting of Joe Montana that same year, and they drafted um, Dwight Clark later on in those rounds as well. Um, he took a 2-14 team and won three Super Bowls in the 80s before retiring after 1988's, the 88 season, winning Super Bowl 23 in Miami. Of course, the 49ers went right back to the Super Bowl the next year with longtime 49ers defensive assistant, George Seifert. In New Orleans, they won again, 
They blew out the Denver Broncos, a record that still stands today, 55 to 10. That's the day that Montana had set the Super Bowl record of touchdown passes of five. And, you know, people in Denver, and I'm including John Elway, is like, God, is this ever going to happen? And I've lost a third Super Bowl. I, I mean, I've done all I can. I feel so bad for John. But the 49ers, they have many great players as well as Hall of Famers, including Bill Walsh, George Seifert, uh, Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, Ronnie Lott, Charles Haley, and other great players like John Taylor and Bubba Wallace and um, excuse me, bu- uh, Bubba Paris, excuse me, Bill uh, Romanowski, John, uh, Roger Craig, Tom Rathman, etc. Well, then came the year of the possible three-peat. The 1994 49ers, they were dominant once again. They were 14-2, and and they were heading into the NFC Championship game at home, and they were supposed to beat the New York Giants. Well, of course, and being a former 49er fan is still is an image I cannot get out of my mind. They're clinging to a lead, and Montana, he's rolling out. Giants, New York Giants defensive end, Leonard Marshall, he's blocked. He's on the ground. He gets up. Uh, LT almost gets a hand. He gets a hand on Joe Montana. He'll lose him. And just before he lets the football go, bang, right in the back. He gets hit in the back. I think he suffers a torn uh, rotor cuff or, or labrum, torn labrum. And I think he broke a finger as well. And he was knocked out of the game. Steve Young comes in. The 49ers, they've limited the Giants to four field goals for this game. And they're up, what, 13 to 12 in the fourth quarter. All they need to do is run the football, and they're back in the Super Bowl again. Pick up two first downs, and that's it. Roger Craig gets hit by Eric Howard. Nose tackle for the Giants. Fumbles the football. The Giants get the ball back. Bing, bang, pow. They kick another field goal. Matt Barr nails it. And they win the game 15 to 13. And I'm still, I'm still in disbelief. But I mean, can you say that that was the day that it ended? Yes. But then at the end of the 90 season, again, you have age and free agency that pretty much took away from San Francisco. Now, Joe Montana had been around since 1979. During his whole career, he had suffered many injuries that kept him out of uh games throughout the season uh even when he went to the super bowl that was it you count it up i mean the man won three mvps for a reason um but ronnie lott roger craig they eventually uh got kicked to the curb via free agency and you know you had uh you know those other guys that eventually would go uh, on to move on to new teams too but again it just comes down to the quarterback montana the next season Please correct me if I'm wrong, um, but during preseason, during during a practice during preseason, he tears uh, a tendon in his throwing elbow. So now he's down again. Two years later, I mean, he never started another game for the 49ers. He comes in on a, in a Monday night game. I think it was against the Detroit Lions and throws a couple of passes. I still remember watching that game on a small TV uh, in my grandmother's kitchen because they didn't want to watch football on the big TV. So I watched it in there and I'm like, Joe's back. And we knew that that was, that was it. He ends up in Kansas City. Yes, they had some success there. 
I mean, that, that dynasty was over. You know, after that hit, that was it. Yes, the 49ers won another Super Bowl. Uh, then this one with some of those players from those uh, 80s 49ers on there. Steve Young, he breaks Joe Montana's record, throwing six touchdown passes against the, um, um, it was the 94 team, the, yeah, the uh, San Diego Chargers. I can't think right now. Uh, that was great. Please, somebody get the monkey off my back, please. Yeah. Joe Montana was still better, but um, look, that's is what it was. And even Steve Young, his career was, even though it was long, he was like 38 or whatever himself, but his career slick got cut short by concussions. Uh, Jerry Rice tried to play forever. Nobody could play forever. He did appear in another Super Bowl. And just like Roger Craig, as well as Ronnie Lott before him, ended up in a Raiders uniform. Of course, Ronnie also played for the Jets. I wonder how that was. But anyway, I mean, it, it was just one of those things where, yeah, you have stuff that happens, age and injury, free agency. That's how dynasties come to a close. But you also can go off to war. But you know something else as I wrap this thing up? You know what? Yes, dynasties, they go away because of those things and coaches stepping down or being fired or replaced. The most important factor I found out, quarterback, Otto Graham. He leaves Cleveland. They won a single championship since he retired in 1955. And they haven't won a championship or even been to one since 1964. Ask a Browns fan about that. Chicago Bears, yeah, they won again in 63. There's a lot of space there between when Luckman retired in 1950 and the Bears, yeah, they came back and won in 1985. And they appeared in one, what was it, 2006 when they got beat by the Colts. But they haven't had a quarterback like Luckman since. Ask a Bears fan. After Lombardi and Star were eventually gone from Green Bay, that was in 1967. They didn't win again, not getting back to a Super Bowl until 1996. They won in 96, they lost in 97, and they won again in 2010. And that was 12, 13, almost 13 seasons ago. Coming up on, that was a long time ago. You know what I mean? The 49ers, you heard what just happened with them. The Dallas Cowboys, last week, talked about Troy Aikman. He's been gone since 2000. Need I say more? Patriots, all right, it remains to be seen. Yes, Belichick is still there, but for how long? And yes, they drafted their quarterback of the future in Mac Jones. We like mac and cheese. But let's be honest, there is no replacing Tom Brady. All right, that's it. But we're not done. Uh, there were other teams that were good and great to play in the same time that these dynasties did. And we're going to highlight some of those teams. I'm not sure if we're doing the show next week. I'm not I'm not sure yet. We're going to work on that. But, and I'll let you know. I'll let you know. That's it. References. We got a lot of them. Thanks to ProFootballReference.com, ProFootballHallOfFame.com, NBC Sports Chicago, also StatMuse.com, Bleacher Report, article by Paul Augustine Jr., written in January of 2009, January 12th to be exact. NFL history in brief, the rise and fall of seven NFL dynasties. Also, Chicago Bears history, the 1940s Chicago Bears, another dynasty. This one by Roy Taylor in 2004, sportscasting.com. Through 100 years of the NFL, who was the best team in each decade? This was by Luke Norris, March 23rd, 2020. Also, bigblueinteractive.com, Hall of Fame, New York Giants. And three books. 
America's Game, the NFL at 100, you already know, by Jerry Rice and Randy O. Williams. Also, the Sporting News, complete Super Bowl book, 1993 edition. We have three authors there, Tom Dinert, Joe Hoppel, and Dave Sloan. And also a new book I'm diving into, Papa Bear, The Life and Legacy of George Hallis, written by Jeff Davis. This has been the Behind the Mic Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Neal Jr., Presented by Belio Sports, Belio Sports Podcast Network. Check us out on BelioSports.com. Not just the shows. Check out those writers. Read those articles, and you can see and hear us on these platforms: Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, YouTube. Tell your friends and family about this show, or I will find your house. I'll be in your window. I'm out. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 